Okay, can we have the first slide up? Thanks very much. Um, so there you are, there's a diagram of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And of course, each of the four Gospels tells the same story, um, but they tell it from different standpoints because the writers are different and uh, they all have their own perspectives. Each has, of course, their own education. Some of them spoke different languages and so on. Um, the Gospel of Luke, um, which that reading about um, Simeon and Anna is taken from, is, uh, I think of it as the careful gospel. And the reason for that is because actually, as you probably know, um, right at the beginning of Luke's gospel, he tells us what it is he's doing. And he says in chapter 1, verse 3, Since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent, excellent Theophilus. So Luke's is the one that in, in a sense is most deliberate in terms of, of his research and his presenting of the, the things that he's found out. Luke is a doctor. We, we know that actually from um, Paul's letter to the Colossians where um, Paul at the end of his letter when he's greeting a whole lot of different people greets uh, Dr. Luke. So we would maybe think, although I mean, it's a bit um, I'm not sure it's misleading to think in these terms, but, but we would think of Luke as, as a man of science, not that science is, was the same um, then as it is now, but he certainly was somebody who would have uh, thought and investigated logically in his approach to things. And the other distinctive of Luke's gospel is, uh, and it maybe it, it comes, well, let me tell you what the distinctive is. <laughs> The distinctive is that he notices outsiders. He notices the women. He notices a whole bunch of people who you find in Luke's gospel and you don't find anywhere else. They don't feature in any of the other gospels. And maybe the reason for that is that actually the other thing about Luke that we know is not only that he was a doctor, but that he was a Gentile. So he was an outsider certainly in the early Jesus movement, because all of the first disciples were Jews. And here's Luke, who's this doctor, and he's an outsider, and he notices a whole array of different people on the edge, often women. There are far more women named in Luke's gospel than there are in the other three. And he notices people like Simeon and Anna, they don't feature in any of the other Gospels. He notices Zacchaeus. You know the story of Zacchaeus who climbed up the tree? You'll find that in Luke's Gospel, nowhere else. He notices the shepherds. You know the shepherds in the Christmas story and millions of Christmas cards? Luke tells us about them, nobody else. He notices the, the name of at least one of the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Cleopas. Nobody else tells us that. And it, it seems to me that maybe Luke had a sense of the importance of people, the little people, the people that nobody else noticed. And for me, that, that um, gives a tremendous sense of um, warmth about Luke's gospel. 
And many, many scholars, many biblical scholars have noticed this in Luke's Gospel, that he, he has this tendency to speak about people who are on the edge. He's curious about the way that Jesus interacts with the lives of ordinary people. And I think that gives it a kind of directness in terms of our own experience. And Simeon and Anna are part of that story. And what happens with Simeon and Anna is that wisdom sees. Wisdom notices things, and Luke is recording this, that other people don't see, that other people miss. I was, I was rereading this passage this morning, actually. Let me just give you a little test here, because I had realized that up until about half past nine this morning, I had misread this passage. <laughs> How old was Jesus when they presented him in the temple? No, in this passage. Eight? Any others? I, you know, I don't know why I bother doing this, because I can't hear. <laughs> so you need to shout out. 40 days. Well done. Is that Morag? Oh, well done, Lizette. Yes, you know, I had misread it because I, the, the first bit is about um, when he was circumcised and it said he was eight days old in verse 21. And then it goes on about the time of the purification. And I had assumed that actually he was eight days old when they presented him in the temple, but he wasn't. You're quite right. Uh, the, the time of purification would have been, uh, well, between 30 and 40 days. And uh, so he would have been a month old. But nevertheless, the, this child that was a month old is brought to the temple by Mary and Joseph. And Anna and Simeon look at the child and they see something that other people have missed. Now, I know the people in this picture. And one of them is four days old and the other is 86. You probably can tell which is which. So, looking at the, at the child for a moment, rather than the adult, can you see that she is going to be a famous actress? That she's going to be a prime minister? That she's going to win a Nobel Prize for physics? Can you see that? No. Neither can I. But Simeon and Anna looked at this child that was a month old and they knew they had the wit and the understanding to see something that other people miss and it's that wisdom that I want to concentrate on really with Simeon and Anna how did they know? where did that wisdom come from? Where was the, what were the, the roots of that discernment for them? And the first requirement of wisdom, it seems to me, is as simple as it is difficult, and it's this, waiting. It actually says in the passage that um, Simeon was waiting. It says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And there's an implication, too, that, that Anna, being all those days in the temple, 
She was waiting, too. How are you with waiting? <laughs> yeah. There's an old proverb, isn't there, that all good things come to those who wait. And I, I kind of wondered, in previous times anyway, whether that was what was behind the uh, reputation that British people have for loving queues. <laughs> you know, if you see a queue, join it, because there might be something at the far end of it. Actually, I think that probably uh, our current culture doesn't like queues, and none of us much like queues. They, um, one of the icons, I suppose, of our generation is Instagram. Well, I have to be a bit careful because I have no idea what that is, really. <laughs> but the name, even the name, is, is, you know, it's about instant communication, isn't it? It's about instant response. It's about uh, instant gratification. How many likes can you get in the first 30 seconds? Everything has to be instant. And actually waiting is really tough, isn't it? Waiting and not knowing, really. But that's where the roots of wisdom lie. They lie in the waiting. Waiting for the consolation of Israel, in Simeon's case and in Anna's case, is the redemption of Jerusalem. The language is slightly different, but in essence they're waiting for the same thing. They're waiting for God to keep the promises of Scripture. That's what they're waiting for. What are those promises? Well, we could spend many fruitful hours, couldn't we? <laughs> Looking at the promises of God in the Bible. Let me just give you one. Come to me, this is Matthew 11, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's Jesus' words in Matthew 11. And sometimes we need to wait, like Anna and Simeon, wait for God to keep his promises. So waiting. And then there's watching. And, of course, that simply means, you know, looking around, seeing what's happening around about you. I have um, a friend who for a while was um, a minister in a new charge in Perth, and he said to me once that um, he, whenever he got sort of um, overwhelmed with church procedures <laughs> and organizations, he would go to the... Costa coffee in the centre of Perth and he would just sit there and he would watch people coming in and out and he would look at them and he would wonder about them are they happy, are they sad are they contented, are they frustrated and he said it was a, a way of reminding himself that actually his task in terms of ministry was to help people find a fuller life. And it wasn't to, uh, primarily anyway, to service an institution. And he, he used that discipline 
of watching to help him do that. That's really interesting, isn't it? In, in terms of seeing what's going on around you. Both Simeon and Anna were watching for something that they believed that God was going to do. They, 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 they were confident about that, didn't know what it was exactly. But when they saw it, they knew what it was. So, I mean, we can go through our lives, and in, in some ways COVID has encouraged this, but we can go through our lives in our own little bubble, can't we? And, and not really pay very much attention to what's happening out of the bubble. Or we can go through our lives with our eyes open and watch to see what God is going to do. So there's waiting, there's watching, and the, the, the next one is, is this, wondering. I've, all, I've mentioned this already, actually. But um, watching is, is looking around at that level and, and, and seeing what's around you. Wondering is about looking up and thinking about bigger things. And both um, Simeon and Anna show us what that's like, don't they? Because they were watching at this level. They were watching to see what was going on. They were watching to see Mary and Joseph and the child coming into the temple. But they were also wondering about big, big things. About a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Things that in Simeon's case enabled him to say, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, because my eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord. Simeon was wondering he saw far beyond the new child and the parents. He saw something amazing. But he also saw something quite dark and quite mysterious. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. The wondering that we do is, is hard sometimes. Not all of that high-level stuff is, is, is wonderful. There's judgment there, too. But if we are to exercise the kind of wisdom that this passage is talking about, these things come in order, I think. Waiting, watching, wondering. And then there's the last one. Worshipping. Simeon took the child in his arms and praised God in words that have become known down the centuries as the nunc dimittis, which apparently comes from the Latin of the, um, the opening words, now let us depart. <laughs> and Simeon used these words to worship. And similarly with Anna, the text tells us that she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So true wisdom is nurtured by waiting by watching, by wondering, and then by worshipping. Because the thing that happens when we worship is, it says, I'm not the centre of the universe. Life is not all about me. In fact, sometimes the things that I worry about are, are insignificant in terms of God's world. True wisdom understands that it is something above and beyond anything in our understanding that is 
key actually to our lives. It's much bigger than we are. As Proverbs puts it, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So wisdom sees. Wisdom that is rooted in waiting, watching, wondering, and worshipping. And I guess my prayer for this new year for myself and, and for us as a congregation is that we would have wisdom. Wisdom to see. Let us pray.